I'm a dude, and I'm inviting you to join me on a podcast about brews. Does that include stouts? Yes. Yes, of course it includes stouts. Like I was saying, join us every Saturday on the journey hey, hey, into... Hey, co- wait a minute. Do you, do you guys do anything about, like, IPAs? Yes. Like that? Yes, of, yes, of, yes, we do IPAs. Okay. It's, okay. It, yes. Anyway, join us on the Journey into Comics Network for Brews with Dudes. Whoa, whoa, po- hey, hey, do you... Have you guys ever... Do you care if I bring some Zima on? Yes, I care if you bring Zima. Zima doesn't count. Zima... Oh. Zima... Dr. Dongo. Anyway, join us every Saturday for a podcast that delves into the craft brew world. The following... The following... The following journey into comics. 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 Network. 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 Production. Production. Hey, hey, this is Josh Richmond, and you are listening to the Voice of Survival podcast, exclusively on the Journey into Comics Network. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to Season 2, Episode 2 of the Voice of Survival Podcast. As the introduction said, I am your host, Nate, and today joining me, I have a very special guest. Welcome back. For the first time, I guess, welcome to the show. Not welcome back, my bad, but welcome back to my house. Second time we've had you here. Welcome to my show, The Voice of Survival, Mr. Ross the Boss. How's it going? Hey, buddy. How you doing, man? Dude, it's been great. It's good to officially have you on a show. Thanks for having me. Uh, I don't think there was any question whether or not we were going to be able to have you. I feel like, I don't know, I really, I usually typically with this show, I like to start at the very beginning. So let's go there. When I first met you, we are karaokeing, <laughs> and I am a judge of karaoke. Uh, at the Twin Cade thing we did this past summer, Veronica and I, and you were a contender. Yeah. You were like a legitimate contender who probably had a shot to win it, depending on who was judging what nights, because I felt like that was kind of the game. Yeah, you could say that. Because I feel like uh, your journey, even just in that one short thing, was like every night you would come close to getting into the finals and just miss it. Somebody would give you some BS critique or not like the song or, like, pick some garbage apart, you know. But you finally got in, and it was awesome. It was a it was a great experience just, like, because I never got a Twin Cade before. It's not really my place, you know. So it was really fun for me to be interacting with you and your crew who are, like, these karaoke veterans, you know. Uh, so I got to know right out the gate, how is it for you karaokeing, and when did that kind of start to become your obsession? Well, you know <clears throat> I've always I've always enjoyed singing, man. Uh, I was always a shower singer. Hell yeah! I, I did acting for the better part of fifteen years, but singing was was always my my go to thing. I, I had zero musical experience. I can't play an instrument for shit. Can't write music. Okay, but I've always enjoyed singing. I uh, when I when I hit 
double digits, like 11 or 12, uh, there was a beggar's pizza by my old home. And they used to do karaoke every Sunday. Oh. And I would go out and there were all, you know, you always have families who do karaoke, but they're all usually kind of screwing around. And I would be the only guy up there. And you, you think that, oh, he's trying out for like American Idol or something. He's doing this seriously. And I don't, I don't know. I would sing any and everything. Like I, I love my Sinatra now, but even back then, I, I would try Michael Jackson. My voice is not suited for Michael Jackson at all. But I loved, I loved to, you know, do popular music, anything that got the crowd moving. So I, I do, I would do my Michael Jackson. I would do my Prince. I would do whatever was popular at the time, even though I didn't really follow popular music. It, it was. I don't know. I, it was a, a segue of sorts from my acting in the sense that I've always been an entertainer at heart. And this time I was able to use my voice and my uh, it as it matured. I was able to use my voice singing as opposed to, you know, saying lines or in my later years doing stand up. So it was just it was just an evolution of my abilities as an entertainer. I think that's really awesome to speak on because it does allow you to utilize different parts of the game. You don't have to think so much about the musical aspect of it because the song's already written. It's not your song. All you have to do is perform it to your best. And for the the listener at home, uh, you have one of the best Frank Sinatra ranged voices I've ever heard. Thank you. Like, I genuinely absolutely mean that. Uh, The first time I heard you do... Oh, God. Can you remember what the first one you did at karaoke was? It was... um, New York, probably. Yes. Oh, man. (laughs) You did that last, like, the big New York at the end there, and I was like, holy shit. This guy has it. Like, whatever that it quality is, you have it. And I genuinely, at that point, did not know your story. No idea. I have no idea who you are as a person at this point. You're just this guy that's going to karaoke and blowing me away. And we're driving home, and I'm like, V, this dude can fucking sing, man. Like, what does he do? I, there were, like, three or four people that I said this at karaoke. I would be like, what are they doing singing in fucking Northwest <laughs> Indiana? You know, like, why aren't they going out and doing The Voice or American Idol or uh, what is it? Fucking America's Got Talent or whatever, you know? So um, you said something interesting, and I feel like our audience would be super remiss if I don't at least touch on it, ask some questions, and build ourselves back to where we are now. Sure. You said 15 years of your life, and you're 27 almost. Well, as of today, if we're time traveling into the future, <laughs> it's your 28th birthday. Happy birthday. Thank you very much. That's weird how that's going to work, I know. <laughs> but uh, 15 years of your life is a big chunk. That's like, I mean, you were the first, thir- like it, it seems like the first 13 years of your life, you could say, or 15 years of your life, you were an actor, and the last 13, you weren't. Yeah. Um, is that accurate, like from baby on, or what's the time frame? We're, we're looking at maybe four or five years old okay. till, yeah, almost 20. And I, <laughs> I remember, I hate to say I remember it like it was yesterday, but it's one of the few memories as a child that just forever stuck with me. I, I, I just recall doing, doing commercials. I entered a contest, a radio contest with my mother, and they were looking for little kids. And, and the crazy thing about doing commercials when you're a kid, you do the only thing that you really have to do is be cute. Like you're 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 four and five. They don't expect you to know lines. They, they just want you to be you to, silly and have fun. They don't expect you to have stage direction. It's just are you cute? Okay, can fair you, point. Can you make us laugh just by being you? And I had all the personality in the world. So at four and five years old, I remember my one of my first big commercials with was uh with blue cross and blue shield dude it's i it, it sticks out in my memory i remember when it fucking debuted that's how weird this is to me like i was living my life as like a 
I was probably shit. That was uh, let me do my math here. You're five years old at that time, so that was twenty three years ago, which made me like six, seven. I remember. <laughs> you're. You, I remember that first. Um, well, you know the time frame better. Please tell me. It, Sorry, it, it was back. It, I would say if I was born in ninety one, then yeah, probably ninety five, ninety six. Yeah, oh. that sounds about right. And it it was funny because in the commercial it was Blue Cross, it was insurance, and the director whom I was speaking to because that's the only way you can get a kid to focus is if you're in the room with someone else. And they had a secret camera behind the director's shoulder pointing directly at me oh man so he's just hey do you uh do you like movies and as a kid's like yeah i love movies what kind of movies do you like and i said well i like karate movies well what's what's your favorite movie and at the time i wasn't aware that what i was referencing was enter the dragon i believe oh man and i didn't know who you know bruce lee was i didn't understand jackie chan Jet Li. i didn't know those guys i only just know the what the, the psh, the psh, just the violence correct and i loved it and I, I was recalling a scene and it was crazy as I was recalling it because I gave like little to no detail. It was the guy did the end the, and then the other guy did the, uh, the, uh, the uh, and then he kicked him in the penis. And that specific line <laughs> kicked him in the penis got recorded and they decided to air it. And it was like, there's no line that you would give a five you or six year old. You don't tell him to say that. Correct. To, you're going to say kicked in the penis on national television. And like it, it just, it turned out that way. It was funny. It was cute and everybody loved it. And that kind of just shot me, shot me off to the moon. Next thing you know, I'm downtown Chicago every week doing commercials, missing out on school every week to do some kind of, you know, radio show, some magazine article. Damn. So you actually from the blue cross blue shield commercial, which I love the insight to how they shot that. It, it totally makes sense. But like from that moment, you catapult a lot of the other kids because you've now had something that is airtime. And back then, late 90s ish, it was viral is, I guess, the way oh, to definitely. say it. everybody was definitely. talking about the commercial. You see it on the TV. You laugh. You pause. If you had the thing like TiVo or whatever, you back it the fuck up just to have a second laugh because it's it was gold. It was it was absolutely hysterical. So you jumping forward and catapulting everybody else and getting that busy, how did that affect you at that age? I mean, essentially taking on a job as a as a five-year-old. Well, you know, my mom, I, I love to say that she kept me grounded, but as opposed to making it so that I was grounded, she made it like it was fun. Okay. At at that age, dude, I had no concept of money. You know, the, the concept of work completely eluded me. It was just, all right. You're going to go into this room and you're just going to do whatever they say and you're going to have fun with it. And then all and the main thing she told me is anytime I was done with a set was to always thank them, you know, for giving me the time, for giving me the opportunity. And again, as a kid, the concept of that doesn't really, you know, make sense to me. But she was just instilling uh, a semblance of discipline and just respect and appreciation for the opportunity, which, again, didn't really make much sense to me at the time. Like, yeah, I had a job at six and I was making fairly good money but none of it meant anything to me my mother is the one who who ran all of that and she just saved my money and said oh we've got a a McDonald's gig do you want it yes or no she never forced it on me I, I knew I knew plenty of kids that grew up doing the same thing I did except their parents were you're going to go do this you're going to go do that my mom always gave me the choice man actually that's a really interesting way to look at it because I feel like 
to talk about that experience and you have the great insight of being a child actor, I feel like a lot of child actors get fucked up from doing it. Yeah. And I feel like you just said the reason. Because your parent stops really being your parent. They become a manager. They're, as you said, not in your experience, but in others, they're demanding you're going to go to this set. You're going to do this. We need the money. We need this to be a thing. They make it perilous for the kid. That's a stress you don't want to put on a little kid. You were having fun. It was a different experience. It was like going to Chuck E. Cheese or something. Yeah. I I I totally had a ball doing it. The only uh, thing I'd say I missed is I I didn't get to spend as much time with my father as I wanted to, but... And, and I guess we could talk about that at some point, but I didn't get to spend as much time with him because I was always on the road. I didn't get to do as many school projects, uh, school trips, picture days, stuff like that. I missed a lot of picture days. Oh, man. Because I was always on the road. I was in New York. I was in California. I was in Florida. It's just constantly, constantly, constantly on the road going to do different commercials because they, at some point or another, a producer heard about me. Whether it be from that commercial or another one, they heard that I had good energy. And that, you know, I was a fun kid to be around. I wasn't a diva. Easy I, to direct. <laughs> yeah. Right. I remember I, I worked with a bunch of kids. And, you know, in, in that field of work, they want to keep everybody happy mm-hmm. because they want you to keep that same good, positive energy while you're on set. I was a little kid. I didn't really want anything. It was just, OK, so what can we get you? McDonald's. Like, that's it. Yeah. OK, well, we're going to go get you some McDonald's. Do you want a video game? No, I'm OK. Do you want some candy? No, I'm OK. Just want that I, McDonald's. I, I, didn't, I just wanted some McDonald's. I, yeah. was, I was a fat little kid. All I wanted, as long as I had some food, I love McDonald's, <laughs> I was, dude. I was good, dude. I didn't need, I didn't need much. And even as I got older, I never, I never needed much. Hmm. Well, okay. So, so there's like, there's like fifty sub questions from from what we're going with. Sure. Okay. So we're gonna go back to it. You do the Blue Cross thing. What's the next like thing you did that's at least for your perspective, and maybe not as a quote as much a viral thing. What's the next memorable thing in your evolution as a as a child actor that sticks with you? I mean, you mentioned your mom saying something like, "We got offered a McDonald's uh, commercial. Do you want it? Did you actually do a McDonald's commercial? Did you take a, a McDonald's thing? Yeah, I, I did McDonald's. You know, Pillsbury, the Doughboy. I met the voiceover actor for him. What? He signed. I have it. I still have it to this day. Uh, a Pillsbury, Pillsbury Doughboy figurine, and he signed the butt of it. And my mom threw it in a Ziploc bag, and it's been sitting in my closet for like 20 years. And she said, just hold on to it. No shit. Yeah, and I, as far as, you know, memorable, that commercial probably sticks with me. The Pillsbury Doughboy commercial sticks with me more than anything, because as a kid, uh, breakfast time came. Biscuits were always my favorite. Always. I love biscuits. I still love biscuits. Yeah. But in that particular commercial, the scene was simple. There were four of us, you know, Husband, wife, daughter, myself, and we're just sitting there having a grand old uh, breakfast time, you know, just family time. Yeah. And the commercials are never done in in one take. Never. And my own, I didn't even have lines. My my job was to take a bite of the <laughs> take a bite of the biscuit, stare in the camera, smile, and kind of go, mm, you know, like just a, a, like a take sign it of in. satisfaction. And we did that take over two hundred times. So it was take a bite, look at the camera, smile, cut, take a bite, look at the camera. Are you I... swallowing every time? <laughs> yes. So you took two hundred <laughs> bites of biscuit, and oh, oh man, I I was so sick of biscuits after that. <laughs> I can imagine. Okay, I have to know. Were they letting you put jelly or anything on them, or it was no, just straight? Oh fuck, no. the dry ass biscuit. Could you take a drink of anything? Yeah. After, okay. Well, after that's good. so many takes, they gave us a break. But man. 
it <laughs> and and that that'll always stick with me because even when I go grocery shopping now and I buy a pack of biscuits, I look at it and I usually think about that commercial. And you're like, damn it, do I really want these biscuits bad <laughs> enough? I have a, I have a funny biscuit story. We'll talk about that off air. It's been told many a time on the network and it's no place for here, I promise. But <laughs> okay. uh did you in that commercial, the Pillsbury commercial, did you have to do the X push the butt the belly thing or did you was he in the scene at all with you guys was there any like little green statue they put around to if signify me- I was gonna say, if memory serves they had him kind of cgi'd in after the fact uh but i didn't visibly see you know see the little pillsbury doughboy and i met the guy after the fact but again being a little kid i didn't understand the significance of it i just know he i saw this fat guy and he walked up to me and he said hey you know you did a really good you did a really good job and i said oh thanks and then he said ho ho and i looked at him and said, what the fuck <laughs> you're like no is so that wait, you i looked at him looked at my mom i said what just happened here and then it made sense like oh you're him you're a lot bigger than i thought you'd be and then he signed, then he signed it and i i i could show it to you anytime Man. i've got it in the ziploc bags just sitting in the closet that's that's awesome. That is something I would love to at some point uh, check out. So you do the Pillsbury thing. You also said you did magazines and stuff. Was Were those more like interview type things or were they just like the picture ads? I, I did. I did ads. Mm. I did one interview and then I did like a news interview. Okay. Someone, somehow someone found me roughly 10, no, not 10 years. Yeah, I was about 16, 17 when I was really considering retiring. Okay. I remember I was a sophomore in high school and they found me on the news. They played the commercial and my mom saw the commercial and she called them and said, oh, that's my son. They had to have me on on like a, a minute interview. On. Now, that's a, that'll be another thing that I'll show you. Okay, okay. And they, they had me on, they had me on and they were just asking me questions about the commercial. And it was just funny because I had already resolved that I was done with commercials. <laughs> and I was like, oh, great. You pulled me back in. And we started, we just started talking about it much like in the way we're talking about it now. Yeah. And it kind of made me fall in love with it all over again. I, I enjoy, you know, being on camera. I enjoy sharing a story, whether it be my own or a story someone else wrote for me. It's, I don't know. It's kind of hard to put into words, but I, I enjoyed it. And next thing you know, I started doing stand up and I started really delving into karaoke. I real I had decided I wasn't going to do commercials anymore, but inter- I wasn't done with entertainment. Oh, I love that. And I love how you said that. So the entertainment side, you know, this is an interesting thing. You said your mom kind of like was not forceful about putting you into acting gigs and stuff. So was it your constant jubilance around the house and entertaining all the time in other scenarios that made her take the the gamble. I mean, that is a, a scary world to put a kid in. And and you're like a shining example of how it can turn out good, obviously. And then there's like Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> you know, I mean, no offense, Macaulay Culkin, but let's be real. Uh, so when you were lit, like, I, I guess this would be more from a, a perspective of her having re- recalled her memories of you as a little little kid, but... Were you just like always over the top entertaining and always trying to be the center of everyone's attention when you were at any function? I was just always overly, overly animated with everything that I did. And it was never about intentionally being the center of attention. I just always had a shit ton of energy and I always enjoyed just having fun with yeah. everything that I did. Uh, and that stretched from acting to being at family functions to being just in class. As long as I was having a good time, nothing else mattered. My my mother always uh, kind of stayed on my case 
about toning it down, but obviously when the cameras were rolling, go nuts, you know. Uh, Turn it up she, to fucking 15, man. Man, man. I, I remember any time we would go to a commercial, because I always lived in the suburbs. I always lived either in the south suburbs or I was in Indiana, but all of the commercial work was downtown Chicago. That's while close isn't close. Still so, going in a car for 40 minutes. Let's yeah, be real. So I would be in the car, and as a little kid, after a while, car ride, I'd fall asleep. And yeah, I need my energy. I would need the sleep, but then we'd pull up. In front of the in front of the studio, and my mom would see I was still asleep. She starts shaking me. So wake up here, take a peppermint here. You know, take take a little bit of this sugar or something just to kind of you know wake Pep me your up. Step, yeah. yeah, we're gonna go to the bathroom here. We're gonna splash some water in your face. How do you feel? So oh, I feel good, mom. Let's go. Uh, she she knew she knew her son, and she knew she knew how I was. Even even now, when I'm out, I'm still pretty high energy, and I enjoy doing what I do, and I enjoy entertaining people. It's just now, once I get home, I can flip that switch. <laughs> You're like, oh, thank God, I can turn it off. Yeah. Like, I, that's funny that you mentioned that. We were talking about that. We did an interview a couple weeks ago with uh, Brian K. Morris, and uh, he's an author. And uh, we were talking about being on in public. And I think that's a very, it's a very hard thing for people who don't entertain to know what being on in public means. You know, when you're out and about, you are, you kind of have to be yourself plus like ten percent. Yeah, just give it that little extra just to to really shine, and and then when you go home, you just <sighs> like fuck it. I take I, I don't even wear a bra, but like you take your bra, you take your fucking bra or whatever you know you like crash on the couch, call it a day. Uh, so okay, so I, like my brain is scattered with all these questions. You, you it, it's glorious how this is working here. Okay, so you do. Did you ever do a got milk commercial? I never did got milk. I did craft. I did a lot of craft cheese really? commercials. But I never did milk. Interesting. Oh wait, I know this. I know this, and I know why. But go ahead, please. Like, now, and now that I think about it, you know, being as lactose as I am, kind of happy I didn't have got milk commercials. I don't think shitting myself on set would. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I don't think that would have been the boost my career needed at the time. Director's like, "Are you okay?" You're like, "I think I have gurgle guts. I'm not sure what's going on here." We're gonna, we're gonna take five, everybody. A long five. It's a long five. Like it might be a fifteen. Like I, I remember doing the the craft commercials, and the craft commercials were a lot uh, in the way of like, the Pillsbury commercials, where it was just eating a lot of cheese. But that they they weren't so anal about you know eating it. It was just take the quick bite. You can spit it out. We're gonna do another take. But even still, it kind of killed my love for cheese. Uh, I. I, I don't know, man. I, I did so many commercials, so many magazines, so much, so many radio. Oh, I loved, I loved doing radio, and I, it was just, it was all over the place. I, uh, for my career, I ended up doing three different movies, uh, very small roles, nothing crazy, but I, I was all over the place, man. I think that uh, we can, at some point, I, and whenever you're ready, we can actually jump into talking about the movies. Are there any other really memorable commercial moments we should discuss before we kind of jump ship a little bit? I mean, do you have anything else? And also interesting, I want to note, just to remind people what you just said, at 16, sophomore in high school, you're considering retiring from yeah. acting. <laughs> oh, That's a fucking awesome thing to say and like, hear a person <laughs> say, I was 16 and thinking about hanging up my boots. What? Well, you know, when I... Well, I, I can't say I wanted to retire in the sense that I was like mentally exhausted. It was, uh, as I said before, I missed a lot of family functions. I missed a lot of school functions. And while I was, by and large, a normal kid, the big events I missed. All the school dances, missed. Family reunions, I missed. Field trips, I missed. Oh. And I had just, I had grown tired 
of missing out on all of the stuff. Now, sure, everybody missed out on making commercials and, and traveling like I did, but and, and it was cool. Don't get me wrong. I would never trade the experience, but it just it got to a point where I knew it was time that I had to pick one or the other and learn to live with it. So uh, as far as like uh, a memorable commercial, it wasn't a commercial, but it was a photo shoot. Ooh. Because as a, as a kid, you have all that energy. So when you're taking pictures, the one thing you got to do is learn how to sit still. <laughs> and when you're a little kid with energy, that might be the hardest fucking thing you ever do. I recall doing two different uh, photo shoots. One was for Chuck E. Cheese. Awesome. And the other <laughs> one was for Coles. And for Coles, it was uh, me and another and another guy who was to play my father. And all we did was wash a car. It was really simple. All we had to do was wash a car. But when you're a kid, it's very ma- everything is very matter of fact. And you, you, you don't have a filter. You just say whatever the hell comes to mind. So when they introduced the actor who was going to play my father, the first thing that came to mind was, you ain't my daddy. <laughs> <laughs> So you said that to him. So I said it to him oh and my all God. of the directors and the producers and my mom, and they all looked at me, and then they just started laughing <laughs> because oh they, they understood that as a kid, you know, we just say whatever. But me, in my heart of hearts, is you're not my daddy. Why are you got you know, like, if you just said, oh, this guy, you're going to, you know, you're going to wash the car together. But when they called him my daddy, I had to call them out on that lie. <laughs> you're like, no, not going to. No. I am not buying into your bullshit. No, 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 sir. No. <laughs> and. It, it, it was it was just funny. I'm actually still really cool with that guy. We keep we keep in touch every now and then. But the Chuck E. Cheese commercial. I, if you've ever been to a Chuck E. Cheese, you see the people in the the giant suits. But when you're a little kid, you just see the giant animals running around. You know, it doesn't occur to you that there's a guy behind that mask. So we, me and three other kids, we had to sit not so much in Chucky's lap, but around him. And we had to sit there and we had smile. We had tickets and coins and stuff acting like we're having a great time. And I looked up and from my short kid angle, I could look directly through Chucky's mask to see a white guy behind the mask. And when I tell you I flipped the fuck out at like eight years old <laughs> because he was no longer the giant mouse that I had grown to love. It was just a guy. I said, who is, who is this guy? Who is this? Hey. Hey, who is this guy? This doesn't make sense. Everybody, no, no. That was probably the only time I ever became a diva because I was always big on going to arcades, Chuck E. Cheese, Hollywood Park, Odyssey Fun World. So for one of the things that I grew up with, one of the few constants ended up not being a giant rat. I didn't know how to react. It's like finding out Santa's not real. Yeah. Oh, man. You get shook to your core. You're damn it. My, the rest of my day was just done. So you look back on that photo shoot and you just think, man... The day I realized Chucky was fake, <laughs> he was a fake ass. You know what? I, I was all, I'm a kid. I'm still a kid at heart, but that was one of those like reality, reality smacks. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I, I have, I have, do have a, a, a question that comes back to the, you're talking about being around kids and doing the thing. And you also talked about how at 16 years, like, I can't do this anymore. It's, it's taken too much away. It give, it gave me a lot, but it took too much away. So when it, took too much away does that affect your at the time ability to have friends that are constant because you weren't really at school that much or i mean did you still have a core group of people that knew like you were doing a cool fucking thing you know you're, you're right on the money with that i ended up transferring well, let's see at at my age now i've been to roughly 
15 different schools from Whoa. kindergarten through college because I went to Metcalf, Holy Angels, Gompers, St. Anne's, Mary of Nazareth, McKinley, St. Ignatius, Bishop Noel, and then I graduated high school from Thornwood, then I went to Kishwaukee College, then I went to Northern Illinois University, shout out Huskies. So, I, I, I bounced around a lot, and part of it was because of my acting, part of it was because every, literally every single Catholic school I went to, it got shut down by the Archdiocese, like, that year. Uh, so the combination of that, it was always... All right, kindergarten, here are your friends. Oh, first grade, that changed. Here are your friends. Oh, second grade, that changed. Here are your friends. And it all I, I would always have a group of friends that I loved having them. And then, you know, the next year comes, I'm, I end up at another school, and I don't keep up with them, and boom, I have to start from scratch. Now, I had maybe two or three friends and one cousin who were the constant okay. growing up. But, yeah, by and large, you always hit that reset button every year. Always hit that reset button. Does that affect? Um, I don't. I don't know if the word is confidence, but that's got to be strange to walk into a situation where every year at school. I mean, I listen. I come from a small town where I, every person I graduated with, I was in kindergarten with. Like it's the same <laughs> fucking group of people. We didn't change. You know, most of them still live in that town. I do not. But uh, by and large, it seems like you had to constantly, like you were saying, hit the reset button. Does that become difficult when, I, the way to say this is like, um, you have to almost always be the stranger in the room at the beginning of the year Definitely. and finding friends and having to go, like, I'm the outcast before I even have a chance. I guess that's the way to say yeah. it. Yeah. And I, I recall telling my mom that, uh, saying that I felt like an outcast, but even, even worse than that is that after a while I began to devalue friendship because I always felt like by the end of the year, I was going to have to hit the reset button again. So by the time I made it to eighth grade, ninth grade, I had almost no friends outside of those same three or four that I had and the one cousin. And I just felt like this is my group. This is who I have. And there's no point in even trying to gather anybody else because it's just going to change all over again You're gonna next year. You're going to have to cut them off. Yeah. And so that mm. that was probably the worst thing, <clears throat> me having to devalue, well, not having to, but just as a kid, I'm still growing. I'm still learning about myself. I just began to devalue friendship and just relationships in general. I guess that was my, my emo phase. I don't know. Because you were like, what does it really mean? Because yeah. the these, these friendships I'm making to you because you are moving or having things shift on you, you're like, well, it's pointless. Like, essentially, if you get towards the end of the year and somebody pissed you off, you can burn that bridge and it doesn't really affect you. Yeah. Because you're not going to go back to that school next year and deal with it. The, the other people might have to go back and fuck around with it. But, <laughs> not like, <my> problem. <laughs> you're off to a new adventure. Uh, that's got to be a mixture of freeing and terrifying. It, it definitely took a lot of stress. Uh, I, I didn't have to think too hard about doing much of anything but at the same time and it's something that I'm still dealing with now is that I can be very very indifferent okay and and I can and I pulled and I got that from you know prior experiences I got to the point where I was no longer super energetic and happy about everything to the point where I got angry and sad about everything to the point where I just didn't care anymore and I'm I, I no longer don't care, but I still have my stints where I'm. It nothing matters. Like I, I'm never angry. I'm never sad, but I'm also trying to find meaning in things. I'm trying to be happy. I'm trying to enjoy things and do things for the right reason versus being super cold and calculating, because it, it, that's no that's no way to live. Yeah, that's. A, I mean, and that's a different way to look at the experience overall. Is that 
because you've had essentially um, built-in severance every year of your life for like the first, I mean, the developmental stage is the most important part of a, a child's life. Um, it does later down cause you to question like, well, why does any relationship or friendship or anything matter? It's just, so what? Like, what? what's the point? So when did you... I guess circle back and go, no, 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 no. I'm a happy go lucky dude. I've got a lot of cool like life to live and I have um, goals, I guess. Cause I'm sure you are, I, I already know this, you're a very goal oriented person. Well, yeah, you know, halfway into high school, I, I joined speech team. My, my, my speech team, Thornwood High School, it was very low energy because their speech team might as well have just been debate team. Okay. Now, I can talk. I'm, I'm I'm a pretty decent talker, but I don't want to argue. I can do my research, so I can debate, but again, that's not really what I do. When they told me, oh, well, we have subcategories of debate that involve comedy, boom, they got my attention. I joined something called original comedy, so I would write my own skits, my own scenarios, and just entertain a crowd for eight to nine minutes. And that gave me more joy in those eight to nine minutes on stage than I ever got as an actor. Wow. And it's not a shot at acting because, again, gave me some great experiences, some things that I'll take with me for the rest of my life. But one is as a kid, you just kind of do what you're told and just have that reckless, but at the end, meaningless kind of kid fun. Whereas high school, I was fairly matured. I knew where I was kind of going to a degree after I had resolved to stop acting and everything held a little bit more meaning. So when I, when I would get on stage and oh, by the way, the first time I got on stage, I bombed, I bombed horribly, but I had a ball doing it and it, it gave me some joy outside of the, all right, let's go downtown. We're going to do this commercial. Okay. We're going to go to New York. We're going to do this. We're going to go to LA. We're going to do this. Uh, just, it, it, it taught me a lot about myself. Like, I always knew, that I would be on stage for one reason or another, but humor, humor, uh, for more, more than the crowd, for me, it makes me happy. Excellent. So I feel like <clears throat> everybody has a calling, right? Everyone has something that uh, you're built on this earth to do. Not everybody finds their calling yeah. or even recognizes that they have talent beyond just being like a human work machine, you know, go wake up, go to work, do your job, come home, eat dinner, go to bed, repeat, you know? Uh, so jumping back to this, um, I feel like you, you know, deciding that comedy is a thing is kind of the universe rewarding you, okay? And to kind of think about how I wanted to word that. So the universe essentially said, look, you are entertaining and you, without even thinking about it, you paid your dues legitimately, right? You went through the system of doing commercial and doing movies, and we haven't even touched on the movie side of this yet, but uh, doing all these things as a young kid, changing your perspective, as we keep saying, and, 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 and not having the ability. But then the universe was like, hey, by the way, here, try this. And as soon as it unlocked the thing for you, it's not the thing you want to do i can see it when you talk about it comedy is something you need to do and and that shows passion maybe i don't i don't know if that's maybe directly what you realize but it it shows a deeper passion for that that maybe has been brewing as you were creating who you are as a person throughout your acting career you know i can dig that i between 
comedy and singing. And if you ever read any of my notebooks, sometimes those two can go hand in hand. I, I enjoy those way more than I ever did acting. They, they bring me they bring me energy. They bring me happiness. But more than anything, it brings me peace. And when I when I go home after a hard day of writing, because I'll go to a library or I'll go to any amateur night uh, open mic and I won't get up on stage. I'll just listen and I'll talk to the comics after the fact. I've, I've been to so many comedy clubs in the area and I'll just go and I'll just be a witness just to see up and coming comics, to hear material, hear perspective, because that's all material ever is, is someone else's perspective. We've all dealt with, you know, these scenarios. It's just a matter of how you would handle it versus how I would handle it, how she would handle it versus how anyone else would handle it. And it's, it's very just eye opening, bro. Just to write down as much crap as I've written down into the filter through said crap to find the good stuff and then try to get on stage for a two minute set because open mics are all really short. You get up there for two or three minutes for the stuff that you've been grinding at for months on end and to get one laugh, even if it's just one laugh, that's an accomplishment because while you can be a funny person in life to be funny on stage is a different beast. And that's something I, have, I would try to like educate my friends. I have friends who I hang out with who I think are far funnier than me, far funnier. It's not even close. But if they get on stage, they freeze. And and <laughs> that that state that stage fright is a bitch. Yes. Uh, oh man, the stage fright is a bitch. Like I I know friends talking about the karaoke who sing way better than me, but would never get on stage no matter how much I beg them. And that's and that's weird to me because. Uh, Stage fright's one of those things. I got over it pretty quickly being and I'm sure you did too yeah. having child actor. You're in the shit like stage fright doesn't really <laughs> I didn't exist. Have a choice. <laughs> no, you had no no chance at all. Uh, I had to quickly learn how to get over it at like 16 and whatnot and it was just like okay, you just like consciously go into a show and I changed my perspective. I'm not nervous. The feeling I'm getting, the maybe the little shakes you get before you're going on stage is like your pre-adrenaline rush. Yeah. You're excited for it more than anything, you know? And I've learned now doing the band and shit, like all day at a, before a show, I'll be like kind of nervous and tingy and like a little weird about things. As soon as we get to the venue, I'm zen. And I'm just like, here we are. Let's yeah. fucking go. And then it just changes gears. So we're going to change gears in that same reference here. I need to know about these movies, man. You had three <laughs> roles. There's actually really only one role I know about we, that we've talked to about previously together, which is Barbershop. Mm. Um, but what was your first movie? I don't know if that was. In fact. My very first movie was a film called Love Jones. Uh, it had Holly Berry in it. Okay. Now, I might have been four or five. That was probably one of the first things. That probably, more than anything, came from the Blue Cross Blue Shield commercial. I was just an extra, nothing crazy. But... One of the things my mother loves to tell me, because my mother was on every set, every time, no matter where I was in the country, if I had work to do, she was with me. And she told me about a particular scene. Uh, Halle Berry was in a daycare, taking care of kids. I was one of the kids, and she kissed me on the forehead. So even now, I like to joke around and say, hey, Halle Berry kissed me. You don't, you don't need to know the context of that. You doesn't don't have matter. to. Fuck no one the doesn't, context. It doesn't matter if this happened almost 30 years ago. No. Halle Berry kissed me. That's all that matters. Did it make the film? I believe I was in the film. I don't believe the kiss did. 
Because if yeah. that made the film, then you're like, and I got proof, motherfuckers. And I got like. But you know, I have, as far as the commercial, I mean, as far as the movies, because the movies were, weren't nearly as big as the commercials, because I never had a, a huge role. It was always something extra. I I always kept the stubs, the check stubs. Oh, that's awesome. Because the check stubs would always have, not necessarily the movie, but the production company. That's so radical. some so some so some little little bit of you know proof that yeah yeah no this isn't bullshit no I did this, uh, but uh, love Jones then Barbershop and Barbershop was a very cool movie uh, starring Ice Cube and my role was to play a young Ice Cube, and at the time I wasn't really big on hip hop because my parents were born in like the mid to late fifties so if I listened to music it was pretty much whatever they were listening to at the time and all they listened to was old school stuff. So I didn't know who Ice Cube was. I didn't know why a rapper would name himself Ice Cube, but I met the guy and it was one of his first movies because he was a gangster rapper. He didn't really do that many movies outside of the Friday series. So I met him and we took pictures in the barbershop. And it's one of those pictures that I, I also still have. And it was just, it was really cool to meet him because at that age, I was still relatively young, but I knew the concept of a famous person. So when I met him, I said, oh, wow, this guy, you know, this guy's a rapper. You know, maybe I'll get on the album with him. I had no musical skill, but as a kid, you dream big. You absolutely <laughs> dream big. Um, so after, after Barbershop, I got paid for that, kept the check stuff for that. They sent out a notice saying that the movie had run over their time. So they had to cut some stuff. Boo-hoo, I got cut. Still got paid. But I honestly would have rather just been in the movie and gotten the credit for that. Because maybe that would have changed my trajectory as far as deciding I was going to, you know, retire down the line. Who knows? Maybe. How old were you when you did Barbershop? I was probably 11, 11 or 12. Because you're like 6th grade-ish? Yeah. Okay. Uh... So the movie, you are left on the cutting room floor, of course, modern technology. Did you make, like, the bonus features of Barbershop on Blu-ray or DVD? Have you looked at that ever to see? You know, the funny the funny thing is even as a kid, I still had that, that pettiness in me that I did not want to see the movie because I was not in it. <laughs> oh, that's... That movie and Roll Bounce was another movie that prior to Roll, Roll Bounce had Nick Cannon and Little Bow Wow and a bunch of big name people in it. But prior to them joining, it was myself and another uh, Chicago actor named Maestro Harrell and a few other guys. We were the original four for Roll Bounce and we recorded uh, a 30 minute pilot of the movie to get funding to you know make that movie blow up and get us out there. And I recall, and the funny thing is, it's a skating movie and only one of us knew how to skate. So they was it t- you? No, it was definitely not me. And hell, I still don't know how to skate. Okay, fair. But what happened was they taught us how to skate, and I fell so many times that I cracked my tailbone, and that I oh, so shit. so I was going to just be the one kid that didn't really skate. I was going to skate at some point in the movie, but everybody else was if they weren't just rolling around on blades, they were actively competing, skating. I was just going to be kind of on the sidelines. And part of that was because I had a cracked tailbone. I, we had a whole scene where we were coming down the alley and the main guy was on his skates while he was rolling. The rest of us were just walking and we were talking about, uh, whatever the plot was at the time of the movie. And I remember my line was, you know, when you're younger, the, 
the inclination that it was time for you to go home was when the street lights came on. Uh-huh. So we're walking down the we're walking down the alley, and I see the lights come on, and my line was oh shit. So we all run down, and we all get you know we all go home. So that was the pilot, and it was received fairly well. And the only issue was that those that were funding the movie felt that there was no star power. It was true, but <laughs> you were trying for, to make it as yeah, stars. Like, I mean. But for us, you know, that was really disappointing because not only was it received well, you know, we worked hard. You know, it really worked for us, and they agreed that it was good. They just didn't think anybody would go see the film because there was no star power. So next thing you know, we're out, and Little Bow Wow is in, and Nick Cannon is in, and that's another one of those movies. I've got the proof. I've got the pilot, but I have never seen the movie. So do you have a copy of the actual pilot you filmed? Yeah, got it on YouTube. Wicked. Yeah. That's I'll, incredible, I'll actually. gladly show it to you, bro. Please, we could, uh, up, uh, totally up to you, but any of these things, if you want to, we can link people to any of these things in your in your career, uh, put them below in the description for people to click on if they want to go through, like, your uh, portfolio of yeah, acting. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, so you, man, that's got to be rough to be... So close yet so far. <laughs> Movies are tough. Yeah. I mean, the, it is proof in the pudding that getting into the actual movie industry is tough. You did all the right things. It seems like you were in the right place at the right time, but then it seems like time always worked against you. It's, it, it's regardless of how much star power I had as far as commercials went, it was not. It didn't convert to movies. It was. It just wasn't the same. And I was hoping that you know, hey, this might be my big chance. It didn't work out. And I had made peace with that because around the time I was creeping closer and closer to that age where I said, you know what, I'm kind of done. So I, it, it, it was definitely an experience. And that was probably my my closest, uh, you know, inching closer to that real fame. Mm-hmm. But again, I have zero regrets. I, I loved all of the experience that I had that got me here. So after Roll Bounce, Roll Bounce, right? I'm yeah. saying that right. Was there another commercial or gig you did that was kind of the how old were you i guess i didn't ask that question what was the age that you did roll bounce at at roll bounce i was probably 14 going on 15 it was one of the last things that i did okay okay and i i after after that i think i took a break i took a hiatus and i was just trying to enjoy high school because i went to bishop knoll for my freshman year and after that I was in Thornwood High School, and it was the first time since kindergarten where I had stayed in a school for more than a year. So I had made friends. Second year, those friends were still there. You were like, holy <laughs> shit, what happened? <laughs> You're not a new person. It was it was a learning experience to maintain the relationships that I had. And the camaraderie. Yeah, versus hitting that reset button. So, and, and, and a lot of those people, you know, I'm still really cool with, you know, and you know, the the social media platforms have allowed me to keep up with a lot of people who I otherwise wouldn't have kept up with. Have you but, went back through time and found people from other schools and classes and been like, I have to know? Oh, definitely, man. I all all the girls that I had crushes on, definitely. Yes, I was gonna all ask. Of, That's awesome. All all of my all of my like best friend for the year, all those guys, oh man, I try I, I kept up with everybody. I, I found everybody. Oh, that's and I started excellent. bit by bit rekindling uh you know relationships whether i met them in person or we just stuck through messenger and just discuss interests and stuff like that uh and, and, and my mother is the type who keeps a 
a, a camcorder at the time that tells you the times. Okay. She kept a camcorder anytime she would come visit me in school and she recorded so much. And I would use all of that footage as an excuse to reintroduce myself to all of my old friends. And I wouldn't even say hi. I would just send them a picture when they were like seven because that's not creepy. I would oh, just, I love <laughs> just like, hey, here you go. And I didn't. Ha- I wouldn't add them on Facebook. I would just send the picture, and they say, "Who the hell are you? How do you know this?" And then I would just send them a picture of me at that age, and say, "Hey, you remember this guy?" <laughs> That's incredible. So you had obviously everybody was like, "Holy fuck! I forgot about you. That's crazy." And they they all knew me as the kid that did commercials, who was rarely in class. <laughs> Man, the modern technology—it's got to be awesome to kind of have now you have created your own like sub army of people through your experience where sure none of those people probably are interconnected i wouldn't assume not really <laughs> but they are through you yeah that's crazy I, that's got to be a an awesome thing so what was the last thing what's the i mean to date i guess because i don't think anybody ever never say never you never truly retire i'm sure somebody yeah, you could, never know what could someone happen. could offer you something and you'd be like i'm all about that let's go <laughs> let's talk about uh, it. let's talk about it. but um what was the thing you went out on the very last thing I went out on, ironically, was probably one of the first things that I came in on, which was my interview with WGN talking about my Blue Cross Blue Shield commercial. What? Yeah, that was one of the first and last things. I remember my mother told me about it and said, hey, you've got an interview. I said, an interview with what? I had already told, by then I had already told her that I was pretty much done. Yeah. And she said, yeah, you've got an interview. I said, with who? She said, WGN. I said, what the hell for? I haven't done anything of note in well over a year. And she said, well, someone found you on YouTube. They found your commercial and they, they were talking about you. So I gave them a call. And at the moment I was slightly pissed at her because I said, I already told you I was done. Why would you put, you know, why would you put me back out there? But at the same time I said, sure. Like, damn it, mom. Yeah, so my my uncle who was living with me at the time wanted me to dress fly, and I have zero fashion sense. I am a relatively plain plain Jane kind of guy as far as my my style goes, and he gave me a dress shirt, which I swear to you had to have been from the 70s. It had a pop collar that reached out to my shoulders, Wow! and he gave me a giant Jesus piece gold chain. And my chest was out. If I was old enough to have chest hair, it would have been out, but I didn't have it at the time, so it was just bare skin and a chain. Okay. And I, I remember, <laughs> and I remember being, you know, on on television, and they were asking me about this commercial, like what was going through your head, like what goes through any six year old's head, and I, I I looked at the commercial after the fact, and I said I looked like the son of a pimp who's trying to become a pimp himself, and it was it was a funny it was a funny little little segment where I kind of ran through my life in the same way that I'm doing now, but it was just in a much more compact format. And I would, I looked at myself on this, on this little segment. And I said, what the hell was I thinking dressing like this? Why would I allow my uncle <laughs> to dictate what I'm wearing? And I, I felt so foolish, but at the same time, it felt so me very, very ridiculous, very out there. Just like, whatever, let's yeah, do it. Like, let's just do this. Let's get it done. I love that. And when I finished it, I actually ended up going to school that day. And when I got to school, kids saw it because in my at Bishop Knoll, or it might have been Thornwood, I'm not sure which, they had televisions in each classroom and they had the news on because we my mother called the school ahead of time to tell them my son's going to be late. 
because he has an interview on WGN. <laughs> so they told all of my oh, classes to this is where he's going to be. And they had the televisions on. And when I got there, everybody gave me like this standing ovation, was giving me high fives and shit. And it was crazy because me, I didn't think it was that big of a deal. But I've been doing it all my life. I was ready for it to be done. Yeah. And everybody was like, oh, that's so cool. And next thing you know, everybody's asking me a shit ton of questions. And now everybody wants to know how I got started. And I was like, I just wanted to be a regular kid. That's all I wanted. I was enjoying my high school. I was enjoying high school. And I just wanted to finish normally. I didn't want to be that commercial kid anymore. You know, I just wanted to be wanted to be Ross. And that's all I wanted. And it was still robbed from you. Yeah. <laughs> for a few more months because <laughs> then you ultimately make the decision like for now at least um you probably said something to the effect of like i just can't i want to i want to do my own thing and go graduate maybe finish high school out on my own terms well i, I just told my mom that i was done and my mother being supportive was simply like are you sure I was like, yeah i'm done uh we've saved money you know we're all fairly comfortable because it's not like we lived off of my commercial money you know my father had a full-time job my mother had a full-time job on top of me working for you know the better part of 15 years so we saved up a nice amount of money so when i told her that i was ready to stop she was fully supportive she she told me she said if that's what you want to do that's fine if at any time you decide you want to come back i'm going to keep everybody's information everybody's business card so it was always there even now when my mother comes to like my comedy sets or stuff like that she'll say if you ever want to do your voice acting again you know i still have so-and-so's number so while it's not something that i i'm I'm relatively interested in right now my mother always had my back and always had the information ready if i wanted it wow that's excellent to have somebody that's willing to go to bat for you at that regard now we're going to take it way back earlier in the story because there's something I don't want to gloss over. You had talked about how one of the things you really struggled with was the lack of hanging out and spending time with your dad while you were doing all this. Right. So what's that experience like? Because I feel like you were on the set dealing with powerful men, I guess is a way to say that. But directors are essentially the most powerful man in the room. Yeah. Um giving you directive while your mom is there watching your back. You guys are traveling together constantly and you're maybe what seeing your dad on the weekends at best, or is it worse than that? I mean, at best would be (laughs) the best way of putting it. Okay. Uh, my father, while not an alcoholic by any stretch, typically was gone drinking. He was typically at a bar or out with his friends, or if he if he was at home, he'd have his friends over and they'd be watching the football game and there'd be beer everywhere. And he, he didn't have time for me. And I can't say that as a shot to him because with all of the acting and stuff I did, I didn't really have time for him. So you guys were on two separate trajectories. Yeah. So I would see my father and, you know, he would come in and say, Hey, I'd say, Hey, how was your day? It was good. How about you? And then that would be the extent of our conversation. And he would either be gone for work or he would be gone for the bar or gone at a football game or gone for a car show. And I give him all the credit in the world because he definitely tried to bond with me. Uh, his, His experiences just weren't as broad as mine. And he only knew the macho guy stuff. So it was football, cars, 
oh, here, you want to try a swig of my beer at, you know, 10 years old? Ha ha ha. We're, you know, we're, we're boys just kind of bonding. None of that stuff ever appealed to me. When I ended up being an actor, a techie, I was really into electronics, uh, stuff like that, that completely went over my father's head. You know, we just kind of branched, uh, branched off and we honestly became less father and son and more roommates. Okay. And that's kind of the relationship that I even have with my father now where, yeah, he's my father. But if anybody ever heard a conversation I had with him, you would just assume he was a friend of mine who was older because I have no issue cursing at him and just speaking my mind in any regard. Whereas most people wouldn't dare do that with their parents. I love my mother. You know, I treat her with the respect that she has earned over the years, given what she's done for me. So I talk to her like I've got some sense. My father, on the other hand, he could just be any guy on the street that I just have happen to be cool with wow that's just like again you have a very interesting uh narrative on how this all played out for you because your dad's working and he's trying to keep the roof over your guys's head while you're able to be home but you're like you're like putting in different kind of work because you're putting in life hours having to go to different places he may be even to this day has never traveled to those places i would just go out to guess uh, so you gain genuine life experience. You're almost maturing in some ways. I don't want to say that overzealously, but like in some ways you're more maturing than he is as far as your, your experience in the world, the bigger picture. Well, he, he never really enjoyed, uh, the acting aspect of my life because he always saw me as a future football player. He always, always wanted me to do football in in the school in three of the three or four of the schools that I went to he had me join football I hated football I had the size for football I had the speed for football but I hated football you did not care for football at the time I I was still in you know in the heart of acting so I missed a lot of practices I missed a lot of games the one time I managed to get hit in the face that I had to take off from acting for a month until my face healed up and it <laughs> Shit. and it was just you know my father had good intentions but it just they didn't align themselves with where I was going acting wise and then because of that I couldn't do either for a while and I, I just remember my father, even even now, when I talk with him on occasion, he'll discuss, I always saw you as a football player. So I know you did. That's all you ever talked about. And I, I've, I've always had the build to, I don't know, maybe be a running back, but if I didn't have the passion for it, the desire to grind, because you can't just one day decide you're going to do football. You, you have to <laughs> want it on a level that is almost uh, animalistic. Definitely, definitely. And I, I never had that. I, I remember doing football one day and my mom, who on the other side of the spectrum, didn't want me to do football and tried to cut corners. She bought me some cleats. Uh, they were soccer cleats. Soccer cleats are not the same as football cleats. Next thing you know, I busted my ankle. So now I can go back to doing some commercials. I can do voiceover work, but now I can't walk. Oh, <laughs> Can't do football. <laughs> Any shots have to be from the waist up. Yeah. So like my, my parents... Both both of my parents had the best of intentions. It's just their thoughts, their plans didn't really align. And then what they wanted didn't align with what I wanted after a certain while. So it, it, it took a lot of conversation. It took a lot of open dialogue for us to get to where we are now where we can all just speak to each other and, you know, be open and, and nice and happy and loving and stuff like that. Are your parents still together today? Stay together? My a- parents divorced. 
I would say about six or seven years ago. Okay, so you were not a, a kid in this life no. doing this. You were no, 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 you no. were also grown. I yeah, it was right. It was either right after high school. Yeah, it was right after high school, where oh man, and that it's. I'm not gonna say it's painful because it's not. It's one of those memories that'll stick with me if it ever comes up in conversation, and I all of a sudden, boom, I remember it vividly. Uh, me and some of my friends were in my home and we're playing video games like we often do. And my father, who was a bus driver, normally wouldn't come home until late. So him not being home was normal. One day he came home early with a U-Haul truck. And we, we lived in a relatively luxurious home. It had a lot of fancy furniture. So when I saw the U-Haul truck, I honestly just assumed he bought more shit we didn't need. <laughs> so <laughs> when he pulled up, he came into my room and he just casually said that I'm leaving. I said, okay. But I didn't connect that when he said leaving, he meant like permanently leaving. So I said, okay. And he said, do you want to help me? I said, help you with what? He said, well, I'm leaving. I said, well, yeah, where are you going? He said, well, I just bought an apartment in the city. I said, oh, oh, you're leaving, leaving. And at the time, it while it didn't really make sense, I, I'd known my parents had problems, but it was like, you know, child stays in a child's place. I try not to uh, become a part of that conversation because there are sides to it that I don't know about. Totally. So when my father asked for my help, I said, sure. So I went and I helped him move. And when I came home, my, I, I saw the look on my mother's face. My mother was devastated. And I just gave her a, a big hug and I said, I'm still here. And I, I know my, my father wasn't perfect. My mother wasn't perfect. My mother was a huge pain in the ass. I know that. But at the same time, there's so much stuff about my parents' relationship that I don't know that I would never try to side with either one. So at the time, my my only course of action was try to make both of them happy. Was to do, you know, the best that I could. Didn't work. But I tried and that's all and that's all anyone can ask for is the effort. I, I think as a ki- as a child, that's all you can do when your parents divorce is just be there for them in their own way and hope and luckily you were at an age that you didn't get like and I, I'm just being honest, like I became a weapon between my parents. Like they used me as bait to each other. Yeah. Not my dad as much. He tried to keep me out of it, but my mom was a very vicious person in that <laughs> regard. And she did some terrible, hey, go tell your dad he's a dickhead. And I'll be like, what? Uh, you know, and I'm like seven. Hey, yeah. dad, you're a dickhead. What's that mean? I don't know. Mom said it. Yep. Oh, no. And, and, you know, and, and, and that's the reality, man. So luckily for you, you didn't have the toxicity of that to kind of like, embed itself into you because it's a hard thing to get out from under yeah it you, definitely sticks with you i'm gonna just like totally shift here just for a second because i feel like if i forget this one question i'm gonna miss it and i gotta get it out did you do school acting or anything like that like the plays and shit because that's that was one of my jams i did one play one time i, I did the whiz okay and Okay, so I know that you're a wrestling fan, so you're going to dig this. Yeah. I, too, am a wrestling fan. And I did The Wiz, and I was the Tin Man. Now, in The Wiz, the Tin Man, you know, he's the metal guy. He's stiff. Dorothy and friends come with oil to loosen him up. Now, this was in fourth or fifth grade. And as the Tin Man, once they loosened me up with the oil, I was allowed to dance. I remember during the audition, uh, you remember the, the tag team Too Cool? Oh my God! Yes. So, oh man, I had I had the sunglasses. Boom! We started doing the uh, the dance. I had the music going on in my head. Next thing you know, they wanted me to be the Tin Man. So I said, "Cool." 
on stage, nobody had any idea what dance moves I was going to do. And fourth or fifth grade, I didn't really know what dance moves I was going to do. But I, I, I had an inkling. I had, you know, I had the reference from wrestling. So once they hit me with the oil, started doing a little tap dancing, a little shuffling side to side. And next thing you know, I did the worm on stage. With yes. <laughs> I did the worm on stage and everybody lost their mind. Now, just imagine a fifth grader, 100 pounds, maybe five feet, that's covered in metallic paint. As 10 man. As a 10 man doing the worm on stage. And I get up and I keep on dancing and I finish it with the spinneroonie. Yes. It was the worst spinneroonie. <laughs> so, funny story. I used to be really good at both the spinneroonie and the worm. Now, I'm I'm about 100 pounds heavier than I was when I used to do that. Right. But those were my two jams. So, I absolutely love that <laughs> you did the worm into the spinneroonie. And I, I finished it with the spinneroonie. I landed on, you know, I landed on my feet. I did the pose and the crowd went fucking nuts and it was hilarious because you know the whiz there isn't really a star per se there's a group of people where the whole play is focused on but they never had a louder applause than when i did the work <laughs> like i sucked all the energy out of the room like that was you know it, it ended with me even though the play still had another 40 minutes to go and it, that it was funny, and, the, and it's funny, and the reason why it's so fresh in my mind because again, my mother with her camcorder, she just got all of her all of her memories digitized, and they just sent us a file. So I was looking at it literally yesterday. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, you I have was, files of this. Yeah, That's everything, amazing. all of the the tapes, the pictures, everything just got digitized. About 20, 20 gigs worth of stuff, and that was one of the files. And I had never seen me. Before I was on stage, but I had never actually seen the recording because this is this is you know mid mid to late nineties. A camcorder basically looked like a potato. Like the video quality was not very. good. It's not that great, but it was better than nothing. So I looked at myself, and surely it's it's still fairly blurry, but you can make out that it's me. You can make out that I'm covered in gray. You can make out that I just did the worm, and then the spinnerone. Yeah. That's great. So it was oh man that that was the only play. That I ever did because, and I don't know, I never had stage fright. I had no problem learning lines and doing, you know, having stage presence. But just being a, an actor as far as school acting, it never appealed to me. Because I, I think when you're, when kids are acting, they all decide, like, okay, well, you got to start down here. And then you work your way up. I started backwards. You were <laughs> up. up here. And then tried <laughs> and to then, go down. Yeah, and it, 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 it didn't feel the same so, like, all the other kids that were in the play had a ball. I had a ball, but it was like, okay, what are we doing next year? Or, hey, you got to do the spring play. You got to do the winter play. So, slow down. Like, <laughs> this is non-committal. I did the one year. Like, said I, I had the one time. That was, that was all I promised I was going to do. So you stole the show, and then you kind of are like, I don't really want to do that. Uh, so I got to know with between acting and 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 all the little things you've done before we get into like the back half of this where you we talk in comedy and the musical side of things um were there anything were there any i guess opportunities as a kid in your acting career this will we'll leave on this one in this part of this were there any moments in your acting career as a kid where you wanted an opportunity from an audition like you were like oh my god i hope i land this 
and it never came to. And there's like the one that kind of hangs over your head is like, fuck, I wish I would have had that one. Yes. Okay. I, <laughs> I uh, my mom always instilled uh, a level of confidence in me. Uh, screw confidence. I'll say cocky. I, I was very cocky. I was very arrogant. I didn't, you know, show it in the sense that I was making other people feel inferior. But I always, anytime I went into any commercial, I said, as long as I'm allowed to be me, I can get it. And that carried through hell, even job interviews now. If I can get a job interview anywhere, I already know they're going to offer it to me. I've, I've got that charisma. And that's all thanks to my mom. But I remember Nickelodeon, they had a tryout for an old TV show called All That. Oh. And I was a huge fan yes. of All That. Oh, my. And, oh, man, I did the commercial. I did the, uh, I did the tryout. They loved me. And... They, while not outright offering it to me, they told me that the condition of doing all that was that we had to move again. But except this time we had to move, I believe it was to California. All of my family is here. What friends I do have are here. And I didn't want to make that move. But before I could even make that call, my mom decided she didn't want to make that that move. move. (laughs) So... Next thing you know, the offer never comes. And that, it was a a very mild shot to my confidence. Because again, I feel like if I'm given the opportunity to get into it, I can do it. So when I never got it, I would have much rather gotten the offer and said no versus not getting the offer at all. Uh, But it was that, all that, and this, it's... This will just be an interesting bit. Sure, sure, sure. I, there was a movie, Keanu Reeves, baseball. It was uh, called Hardball. Yes. I... Uh, audition for that movie i got the role in the movie as a g baby he and he's a a young a young thug he ends up dying at the end of the movie but his death is the motivation for the team to, to win the yep. tournament and it was a pretty good story and i got the role and i was super excited about it well no let me let me reiterate at the time i didn't know i got the role but i was super excited about it so the call never comes uh, and as a little kid, you know, your memory isn't really like that super tight, that super round up. And as long as I'm still doing work, doing other commercials and stuff, before you know it, I forget. Yeah. A few years, I, I'd say about seven or eight years later, my mother tells me, uh, as we're in the middle of another move, she's just giving me all of my old commercial stuff, old paperwork and stuff, because my mother, she kept everything. Awesome. And she shows me the script. And underneath the script is the offer letter for the movie hardball and i look at it and i and i ask my mother i'm saying what is this and she tells me oh you got the role but i declined on your behalf and i was pissed at like 12 13 i was beyond pissed that's crushing and i asked her why and my mother while not overly religious just didn't approve of how much uh, profanity was used in the movie. And his role, specifically, did involve a lot of cursing. I admit, it was a whole bunch of cursing. And my mom, who, while also being my manager, above all else, was my mother, just simply didn't want her son... Subjected to Yeah, doing all of that. And what she she told me was that you never sell uh, your soul to the devil for a dollar. Now... I, I can I made peace with that. I'm okay with that. I understand that was my mother parenting and not my mother managing. 
But at the time, <laughs> I was so you, pissed. You almost could, the lines get blurred when you're looking at her, and you're like, you forget that she is both mom and manager. That has to be. Uh, I feel like you've answered the question, but that creates an interesting um, dynamic between you and your mom, even to this day. Like you were saying, going to your comedy gigs or whatever, she goes to support you in. She's always hustling and wants to support you and give you the the positive reinforcement because I think not only does she believe in you, she knows that you can accomplish anything if you just go for it. Uh, and I want to say from somebody who does not have that kind of support from their mother, it's a beautiful thing to see. Like, honestly, that's a great thing that you guys have this bond. Uh, now, coming out of that, we're gonna kind of we're gonna keep on the mom train here. We were talking about comedy. You've been doing some stand-up, like actual stand-up in the area a little bit here yeah. and there. How's that been going for you? Well, it's it's hot and cold. Sometimes I'll get up on stage and I'll just kill it. And it, they'll they'll call me down after afterwards and said, oh, you must have been doing this for years. You know, we want to book you for, you know, a 10-minute set. We want you to be, uh, you know, we want you to warm up the crowd for our headliner or something like that. And then I have to tell them, I said, no, I'm, I'm not that guy. I'm I'm very much a rookie in this, you know. I just enjoy going for it, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But there are a lot of people who they'll get up on stage, and if they bomb, you know, that'll be the first and last time they're on stage because they just can't handle that disappointment. Me, I'm, I guess you could say I'm just so full of myself that if I manage to bomb, I just like it's not gonna happen again. We'll get it. We'll, we'll we'll just we'll tweak it a little bit. We'll get back up there. Figure out the formula, man. Yeah, it's like there was there was very little to no fear. And you mentioned it earlier, where other people have that stage fright. You kind of have it more like you're anxious. You want to just get up there and just kill the shit and be done. And that's where I am. Like if I if I sign up for a five minute set and there are. 10 other people who are also going to do five minute sets. I want to be the first guy up there. You know, I just want to get up there because regardless of if my material is well received, I hate the weight. <laughs> oh, I hate that weight. But I I remember many a time I've been I've been on stage and I I I I do really well or there will be times where I just did really badly. And I would I would call myself out of it on stage and it would be part of the joke. I would make a joke. I would get no laughs. I said, no to self. That didn't work. And then people would start laughing. It's like, OK, I can still make this work. And it's 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 one of those things that even it's like pizza. It's like cold pizza. It's like even when it's bad, it's still good. Yeah, so like, <laughs> I, I, I that's one of the things that I just really, really enjoy. I honestly wish I did it more when I was younger and I wish I do it more. I would do it more now. Just, you know, life gets in the way, but I definitely enjoy it. And I still write material constantly. So now I'm going to throw a huge curveball your way. A question that you probably couldn't have planned for. Oh boy. Okay. So you do comedy. You're in this area. You have the drive. You already have the portfolio of skills and you know what you're doing in entertainment. Why have you not done the second city thing? What's holding you back from that world? Because just me personally, Sarah's sister did Second City as on the musical side of things and did a lot of like musical comedy and stuff. It was fucking amazing to just witness her go through those programs and be in the halls where you know people that are the gods of comedy essentially walked through. I feel like it's like um, a shoe in for you, something that you could walk in, get a spot, you pay your dues and kick ass, and and then make you know the next step to who knows SNL needs people. Just saying. 
You know, it's it's funny that you say that because I'll, I'll be quite honest with you. I didn't know what the hell Second City was until like two years ago. Okay. I honestly had no idea. Part of it was I wasn't downtown as much anymore. Because, you know, after I retired, I had really no reason to go downtown anymore. And of course, as you're getting older, you're not, you don't remember as a six year old that you were walking near Second City. It doesn't matter yeah. to you. So when I only recently learned what it was, I said, oh, that is awesome. Yeah, I should totally look into that. And while looking into that, I was simultaneously looking into the Laugh Factory, which is on the north side of Chicago. I would go and do shows there for their, you know, their amateur night, their open mic. And I, I definitely consider Second City. I, I'm not going to lie. I haven't done oodles amount of research, but it's all it's definitely a thought. new now that I'm mobile again and i'm motivated and i I really do want to get out there there are so many clubs and avenues in the area that i haven't made it that far to going back to downtown again but i've definitely thought about it totally i mean i know one thing second city works pretty easily like you pay your flat rate year year six months or whatever tuition and then you just go in what classes you need to go in based on what your goals are. Mm. Like I need to do acting or improv or whatever it is, however you want to slice it. And you just go through those classes and then they offer you show slots to put together things like whether it's a comedy musical or a night of standup or whatever it is. It's really totally beneficial to the evolution of people in the comedic world. Anybody who is on SNL has walked through second city to get there first. Because it's like the natural progression. You go to Chicago, if you can make it there and make people laugh, it's time to go to New York. So that's just my thought. I think you can do it because I think you're a hysterical person. You have a great charisma. Your your ability to just entertain a crowd regardless. I mean, not very many people have the balls, and we're going to just dive right into this here. (laughs) Not many people have the balls to do a Richard Cheese song or uh, do the Puddles Pit... uh, puddles pity party uh the the clown the sad clown doing chandelier like you kill those songs and you're having fun while you're singing i can look at you and you think it's funny but you just do it so great i i don't where does that come from you're just decision to while entertaining not necessarily take it seriously i i learned a long time ago that when i'm doing any form of entertainment, any form, whether it be me singing, me acting, me doing my comedy, is that while I'm doing it for the consumer, while I'm doing it for the viewer, more than anything, I'm doing it for me. So if I'm enjoying it and if I'm having fun, it shows and everybody can see that I'm enjoying it. And then it it, it may it, it's a, a built-in icebreaker of sorts. So like if I come up there, I don't do... Uh, dry humor. I don't have the personality for that. I'm very energetic. I'm very in your face. And if you see I'm having fun, it's pretty easy to you know get everybody else to go along with it, unless they're just there to support only one person, and then they go out of their way to not you know support, support anyone else. else. Yeah. Well, like I, that's that's it was always it was built in me like that. As long as I have fun, I have no regrets whatsoever. So when I got up there and I did puddles, like dude, I decided to do puddles that day. I, Holy shit! I did not. The practice day of that. the finals, you just decided puddles. That's well, ballsy as fuck, man. The, yeah, and, yeah, and I didn't make it out of the first round. So you see how, how much that was worth. But, but no, but behind the scenes, you have to understand. I respect that because that is um, a mixture of confidence, fearlessness, and just going. 
what else am I going to do? Like, fuck it. I've got to try something. Yeah, I want to see. I, I I hadn't been to Twin Cades prior to the karaoke contest. I, that was a new place for me. Uh, once I had heard about the tournament, I said, OK, I'm going to come. I'm going to bring my karaoke people so that we have a better chance of winning. I was known as the Frank Sinatra guy. Any bar that I go to, any karaoke place that I go to, I always did Sinatra. That was that was just my thing. Uh, after I made it out of the first round and I was ready for the finals, I knew that there were going to be some powerful singers there. And I knew above all else, I was going to need to take some kind of risk because, yeah, I have a good Sinatra voice. I can make that work. But at the same time, I didn't know what anybody else was bringing to the table. So I felt like I had to be really, really out there. So I remember that day I just had my, my music playing at random and puddles came on and I was listening to it and I was like, I can do that. And I played it a few more times on my way home. And I was like, I could totally do that. Then I got to Twin Cade and I decided I wasn't going to do that. I said, nah, I'm going to stick to Frank Sinatra. Nope, I'm going to do Frank Sinatra. And then when it came to the sign up, I put puddles. And I said, oh, God, what did I just do? I did. I put in puddles. So it was it was not something that I had really practiced outside of that day. Uh, it wasn't something that took me weeks and weeks to, you know, come up with. I, if I'm being perfectly honest, I didn't even give what songs I was going to sing. I, I didn't even give it a thought up until the day prior because me and my friend, uh, Tony, who was also in the tournament, he was freaking out and he and I sing a lot of similar music. So the only thing I wanted to make sure that he and I were clear on was that we didn't accidentally go up there and sing the same song. Cause then it's a war. <laughs> I like, we like the reason why I told him about the tournament. The reason why I told my friend Jess about the tournament is that I wanted us to go in as a group so that we as a group have a better chance of coming out on top. And he was just, he was freaking out. He said, okay, I'm going to do some Frank Sinatra. Okay, what are you going to do? Oh, I don't want to tell you. I don't want to tell you. I don't want to bring bad luck. Okay, well, you're going to do some John Legend. I think I'm going to do John Legend. Well, what are you going to do? I don't know. I don't know. I don't want, I don't want to let you know. I don't want, you know, to jinx anything. I said, dude, screw jinxing. I don't want us to get up there and have to battle each other. Like, that's not what this was about. Like, I was, I was having fun with it and he was just freaking out. And once we had resolved to what songs that we were going to sing, we just got up there, you know, and we did it and we let the chips fall where they may. Like there were people who loved it. There was one person that didn't really like it. And I was perfectly fine with that. And, you know, you, you live with it. You you go up there and you just try to have as much fun as you can. I always say you miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take. Right. I think that's Wayne Gretzky actually said that. But <laughs> <coughs> sorry. Uh, so one thing that's interesting to note. Your group, like every person you brought made the finals? Yeah. Is that right? You, Jessica, and Tony? Yep. All three? That's crazy. And I mean, Julie didn't really try to get into the competition. She did great when she sang. I, I wish I would have seen that. Also, I want to mention that it was really interesting because like a couple months after we did the Twin Cade thing and really haven't been back to Twin Cade since personally. I don't know about you. They don't. No. Uh, it's, it was like a... A really interesting encapsulated <laughs> moment of time where yeah. we were all at Twin Cade. It was really cool, and there was a new thing happening, and then it kind of stopped. So uh, I saw I was scrolling through my feed, and I saw you at a different place doing karaoke, and it was like on a fucking big ass stage with lights and shit. And you and Jessica did that Evanescence song, "Bring Me, Bring me to Life." To <laughs> I was marking out at like ten in the morning, like <laughs> "Fuck yeah, this is my song!" Like fucking a i love that is another thing i want to talk about is that talking about risks you have 
a large style of musics you love. As you said in the beginning, you maybe aren't necessarily in tune with all popular music, but you have a wide array of musics you like. So from that question, I'm going to ask one centralized question. We know you love Frank. That's not really a question. You like Frank Sinatra. Is there one specific musician that's not Frank Sinatra that you would say influences your style? It would be two different artists, but they're also... They've also worked together. Ooh, double would, <laughs> I would have to say it would be John Legend and or Sam Smith. Oh. I I love both of their voices, and I, I got a lot of my style from them and Frank. And I learned, because like even now I'm still learning my range. I'm still learning what I can and can't do. And those guys are, are the base level that I'd like. If they can pull it off, I can get somewhere near it. My, my voice, I have similarities with all three of them. Like Sam, my voice doesn't go nearly as high, but I, as far as he uh, gets up there, yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. I okay, so like Sam Smith, uh, his song Pray, I can sing that without a microphone, but if I have a microphone, you're gonna get a lot of feedback because I have I struggle with my volume control. He doesn't do, he doesn't struggle with that. John Legend, I know every single song the guy has made. I am a big fan. I feel like you did, um, we the the night you went to the the night that you punched your ticket to the finals, if I say this correct, was on John Legend, All of You. Yep. It's one of my favorite John Legend songs, and I had to hear you sing it. I had heard you do Frank Sinatra. I think we had went around and maybe asked people, like, what artist do you maybe want to do? Yep, that's that's exactly what happened. I... The first song was Frank Sinatra, and then when, when I got to the finals of the prelims, I had tied with somebody, so we had to sing a secondary song. And you guys gave us a choice. You said, well, you know, give us two artists that you like. So I said John Legend, and I said Kim. You guys didn't have any Kim, so you guys, knowing that I like Frank Sinatra, gave me Michael Buble. Me being idiot, be, me being an idiot, I didn't know who Michael Buble was. I, if you had said the Christmas guy, then I would have known him, but at the time, it didn't... I was having a blonde moment where I, I didn't, under, I don't know why. When I heard Michael Buble, it went in one ear out the other. I love Michael Buble. I really do. But at the time. You're like, who the fuck is that? Yeah. So You were like, like Ralphie on a Christmas story. Football. <laughs> football. Yeah, I want a football. So you guys like, okay, well, here are your two artists. You can have John Legend or you can have Michael Buble. And I didn't even give you guys the opportunity to tell me what the Michael Buble song was. Just give me the John Legend because it didn't matter. I love all of his music. I know it all to a T. He's one of the few artists who I just have all of their music. So he so so John, Frank, Sam, to an extent, uh Buble, those guys, their voice, their stage presence, the way they just they approach music. I try to mirror that. Those guys Especially the Franks, the the Jamie Foxes, guys. Who, God, his voice. The guys who can sing, man. but also do acting, do some comedy. I want it to be like that. I'm, I'm perfectly fine with being that jack-of-all-trades kind of guy. I don't necessarily need to have a special, but I feel like there are so many things that I can do, so many things that I bring to the table that I would be kind of silly not to give it a shot. You know, okay. <laughs> Even if it didn't work, I had to try. So I know some behind the scenes stuff about your life and some things you've recently went through and you had a surgery recently and I feel like if we didn't touch on that I'd be silly because it obviously and you can discuss what exactly happened if you want but having the surgery which was a throat surgery let's mention and not and not 
hide, hide or hold any bones about it. Did that affect your, I mean, you're just now like probably a couple weeks into being able to talk again. Yeah. Have you tried to get back on the singing train or are you kind of also slightly terrified? Like, I don't want to push it. If we had taped this show three days ago, I would have been shaking in my boots, man. I I was nervous as hell. Uh, my friend Jess, who we just mentioned, her birthday was last week and she had it at a karaoke bar. So I went to go support her. It was the first time I sang. Now, mind you, I had the surgery the day after Christmas. So December 26th, what a way to start your start your Christmas and getting cut on. Uh, I hadn't sang and I barely spoke up until her the, party. Yeah. Wow. Um, just narcotics and applesauce was pretty much my diet <laughs> for wow. three weeks. Oh, man. Um, just, I, I had my tonsils pulled. I had a deviated septum, uh, adenoids and turbinates, which is just fancy talk for my sinuses and junk. And I had to get things either removed or realigned or shrunk. And it's a procedure, especially the tonsil part. That's a procedure, you know, you normally get done when you're like six or seven. And me being 20 years older than that, it, it got way worse. It had gotten to a point where I couldn't breathe and I had to go to the emergency room. I, a breathing tube got shoved in me because Whoa. my throat had essentially shut. I, my oxygen had dropped uh, roughly 15%. I was not, I wasn't, I'm not going to be dramatic and say I was dying. I wasn't, but it, I wasn't in good shape. So I ended up going to the hospital, staying for five days while they got the infection under control and then after they got the infection under control, I finally got the surgery the day after Christmas. They, it was a same-day surgery. They knocked everything out. I had gauze and just bleeding out of everywhere. Oh, and, that's the worst, man. yeah. And then they sent me home. And it, I've, I've been told that it's a horrible, horrible experience and that it's going to be like the worst pain I've ever dealt with. But the drugs they gave me, the way they set me up ahead of time... I don't really remember the first week, and that could probably be attributed to the drugs, but I I can't say that I was ever in any real pain. I say I was in discomfort, sure, but it, it wasn't so bad. It wasn't so bad. My best friend Tony had a similar procedure a few years prior, and his recovery was way worse than mine. Damn. So... Like especially comparing myself to his, I was blessed to not have to go through a whole bunch of stuff. At worst, I was sleep all the time. I was slobbing on myself, uh, but that was it. I I didn't really have too many issues. The worst part was that I couldn't eat. I lost twenty pounds because all I was eating was applesauce. And being lactose, I couldn't enjoy ice cream, so it was just applesauce oh, soup, man. more applesauce soup, and that was all I had for nearly a month. And only up until, say, five days ago did I start trying to eat solid food again. And I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm, pre I'm pretty good on the solid food. But I'm like, I'm no longer taking any meds. I'm, I'm, I'm back in the game and I'm ready to, to start, start back up, start my life again. Uh, when I went on stage for the first time, you know, post-surgery, I was legitimately nervous. Not because... You know, I, I was I was concerned that my voice was going to be like way different. Like even now, my voice might be ever so slightly deeper, but nothing too crazy. I was convinced my voice was going to go like full Elmo, and I wasn't shoot way up. I, just, I wasn't ready for that, and I didn't practice prior to going in. So when I went in, I, I did my you know I did my usual. I got up there, I did Frank, I did New York. It worked 
it worked out pretty well. It sounded really good. The only downside was that I didn't have the stamina like I used to. I could normally go three, four, five songs before I even needed water. After that first song, it was, ah, okay, I need water. Give me a pitcher of water. Yeah. But save for that, man, I I was happy to have essentially had a complete recovery and just been able to just move forward as if this block of time uh, this block of discomfort didn't really happen. It was just like it wasn't even a roadblock. It was a minor speed bump. And I, I can still do what I like to do. That's great, man. Uh, I feel like having a surgery, you know, having your tonsils out, you mentioned happens usually when you're six or seven. Your body's way more elastic then. So they can fuck with it and it doesn't take so long to reset. I think it's like, what, a week and a half recovery when yeah. you're six or seven? Having to deal with this for a full month, though in some way has to be a little bit of torture, a little bit of agony. First of all, you have to change how you're temporarily communicating with people. So are, were you writing shit down or did you type text people? I thank, thank God for technology, man. I, I had an app <laughs> where I would ju- it was just text to voice. So I would type whatever I wanted to say and the phone would speak out and let my people know what I wanted them to know. I had an, an Echo, you know, the portable speaker. I would keep that with me, and I would just walk around and type, type, type. And I, I was basically Stephen Hawking in the sense I was just, that was how I had to communicate with people for a good week and a half before I tried to, and, and not smart, tried to force myself to get some words out because it was, it was very frustrating not being able to talk, especially, you know, being me. I like to talk. I like to be energetic, and even... Once, even with on the on the drugs, I still I was still relatively me, but I couldn't talk, and it was very difficult to try to communicate with people because then those people had to have the patience of a saint to wait for me to type out what I wanted to say. Uh, oof, yeah, (laughs) it's life experience though. I feel like you are just like genuinely a warrior. There are few people who can say they went and did child acting and came out normal on the other side. And you don't, as far as I can tell from our interview, I didn't sense any crazy darkness and fucked up hate or weird um, uh, regrets that you have from being in that world or like vitriol for, for the fact that you didn't have a normal childhood. You seemingly have taken every speed bump thrown your way as you were mentioning your surgery, but like, from not having a normal childhood to the difference in your parents' relationships with you to how you have friends and, and how you've evolved as a human, you just show like a strength. I just keep that in mind for the listener more than anything that not everybody, and I just, I'm going to round this one more time, but like really not everybody can do child acting and be okay after. It's a, it's a really, it can be a dangerous world. So kudos to your mom for keeping you safe, but kudos to you for keeping your head above water and knowing, uh, without knowing, uh, to be cool in that situation. You know, it, my, my, I can't, you know, say enough good things about my mother because she's, she's the reason for everything. You know, like forget hardball, forget the movies, forget the commercials, forget it all. My mother is the reason why I'm sitting here right now. My mother helped mold me, in, into the guy that I am today. And that's not to say my father didn't have a hand in it. He did. But my mother was definitely that focal point where I, I drew strength, where I drew maturity, where I drew leadership, where I drew pretty much everything that I am. And, you know, from even from commercials, my mother would 
forever paranoid if I had to go to the bathroom. I, dude, I used the women's bathroom so much as a kid. My mother would not allow anything less. If I ever had to, you know, I wanted to go and get something off of the food table while I was on set. My mother was always there. They always offered to send, uh, send someone with an me. aid or yeah, an send an assistant. aid with me and an assistant or something to always go with me to do any and everything that I wanted to do. My mother was always the one to do it. She refused to allow anybody else to help me unless she was there. And I can say with a lot of certainty that that, you know, made it so that I could have some sense of normality, whereas I'm sure a lot of other kids probably didn't have that level of support. And that dude, I can't I can't thank my mom enough for that. And I I I normally suck at putting things into words when it comes to thanking my mother. But this is definitely one of those things where it's just, oh, she definitely had a hand in it. Like she definitely is the reason why. It's it's interesting to to hear you say that uh, because talking about your experience, I just I it like hits me and the the light bulb just went off, boom, right? All right. So you are on set doing things. You need food. Now a a typical child actor in your same situation is having an assistant or an intern or someone who's an adult bow to their whims. I want a cookie. I want fifteen cookies. I want whatever. But instead, you had a guide who is someone who is your actual support, not just someone there hired to do a job, who is ensuring your safety while also keeping you grounded. And I, it's the foresight she had to, to be able to keep that within you is huge. So I'm going to ask the big question, the one that we, we, we always want to know here. What's next? Uh, what comes next in your journey on the other side of all this surgery and, and no longer being a child actor and, and having your world now in front of you? Well, um, I'm at the point now where, and it's something that I've known for a long time, that it, at, at the end of it all, I'm an entertainer at heart. You know, I, I'm not going to say no to acting. I've had friends who want me in small productions. I have friends now who want me on their shows. And I'm, I'm, I'm realizing that uh, regardless, like from me, from my mother, whatever you want to call it, I have a talent and it's a talent that I, I need to work on. I need to grind on and I need to continue to push forward. And as long as people want me, I, I'm, I'm going to oblige. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to show my ass, man. I'm going to get out there and do it all because at the end of it, it I'm having fun. You know, I, I, w- I was sitting on my ass today when I was supposed to come here and I was, I was just sitting at home watching TV and I was looking forward to this. I had no idea what the hell we were going to talk about till I got here. I honestly had zero idea. That's exciting. And I was, yeah, I was, I was pretty, pretty excited. And I ran into my mom on the way here and she was asking me what I was doing. And I said, Oh, I got a show to do. And she said, a show. I'm like, well, what are you going to be talking about? I have no clue. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and she said, well, just let me know, you know, when it is, I'd love to see it. I was like, okay. When I find out, you find out. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm always going to be an entertainer, so I'm always going to be doing my karaoke. I'm always going to do uh, my open mics because these are just things that bring me joy. Now, if an opportunity were to come up where I could do something more than that, you know, we'll look at it and we'll, you know, we'll look at it from all angles and decide if it's the best thing for me to do moving forward. But as it stands right now, man, I'm just living. I'm trying to have fun got a new girlfriend i got a new car i'm i'm just trying to enjoy my life while also progressing and 
just just moving forward and having a good time doing it. Just trying to look dope while doing it, man. Awesome. I love that. Uh, all right, Ross. Well, before we get down here, let me do the plugs real quick, and then I'm going to like probably ask a couple like closer questions usually. So, uh, as always, folks, you can check out the Voice Survival podcast right here at the Journey Into Comics Network at journeyintocomics.com. Get us on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher Radio, Google Play Music, or Spotify. Just search Journey Into Comics Network. Smash the subscribe button. You'll get every show that comes out every single day of the week. Or go to patreon.com backslash journey into comics where you can give us a dollar for early access and exclusive content. Meaning some of you are going to listen to this episode like two weeks before it happens. You're still technically only 27, Ross. When this releases to the rest of the world, you'll have turned 28 and it will be a great change for you. Right? I did that right. That's the right ages. Oh, yeah. 27 to 28. Okay. I remember being 27 to 28. That was only a, a few short five years ago, four years ago. Not too long. (laughs) No, not too bad. All right. So, uh, Ross in, in tow, in total here. Now I'm going to, this is the, this is the big bank. What gets you, what I know you said you're like, currently you have like the, the mindset of just getting yourself back on track and being able to feel at peace with yourself and doing what makes you happy. That's an important part of our progression. But I feel like deep down, almost like that old professional wrestler who has the itch in their boot, the itch in the, that they need to itch, they need to scratch the itch. Is there anything you've thought of or considered or toyed with to get yourself back out into the acting world? Has that? I mean, you're 12 years removed from your decision to stop, if, if that's the way to say it. Uh, have Has there ever been that itch that you were like, damn it, I need to audition. I need to be in a fucking Marvel movie. You know, like, I, that's a, maybe a bad example, but I digress. I, you know what, man? It, it's funny that you say that, but I, I can say honestly that I haven't had that where I, I just wanted to go back to acting. Now, there have been many times where it clicked that maybe I wanted to do comedy or that I wanted to sing in, uh, in further than karaoke. But as far as doing acting, it, it hasn't really hit me. I mean, sure, when I see a really good movie, I'm like, oh, I would have loved to have been in that. Or if I see a really shitty movie, I say, oh, I think I could have improved that in some form or fashion. But all in all, I, I'm, I'm pretty happy with the decision that I made because in making that decision, I made friends that I know are going to be with me for a lifetime. Oh, shit. That's actually a, you just... Thank you. See, that's a great question. <laughs> I didn't even actually touch on this earlier when we were talking about friendships and, and your you had built your whole like social media back on friends from all the different schools you'd gone to. But there's a whole other side of you that's your professional friends from that side of your world. That's got to be almost interesting when sometimes on Facebook those two worlds are colliding and people are commenting on each other's shit. Does that get interesting for you? It, it it can definitely be something funny because like like you said in the past they're all connected through me so while i can appreciate a's perspective and b's perspective they're too busy arguing with with one another over silly stuff it becomes entertainment for me as long as everybody is civil. to a lesser degree is yes very civil as long as that's going on you know it's all it's all fun and games because even now you know through my social media i'm fairly uh, what would be a good word? Absent to like I don't I don't really make too many posts personally about me. I I post memes, I post news links, anything that I find interesting that has absolutely nothing to do with me, I'll post. 
Uh, and I feel that gives a lot of people a, a an insight to who I am without an insight to who I am. They don't need to know that you're eating a grilled cheese sandwich yeah. with your tomato soup. I'm not. I'm like I don't. I don't take pictures of food. I, I rarely take pictures at all. In fact, my <laughs> my most recent profile picture is of two years ago that me at a buddy's wedding. Like I. That's two years ago. Yeah, looking fly for two years ago. Looks about the damn. It's like you haven't aged a day, man. What the shit? What's your secret, man? I try to be stress free, man. I, I I try to be stress free. A little bit of whiskey doesn't hurt. Okay. But I I don't know. I if I if I grew facial hair, then maybe I would look my fucking age. I'm everybody, everybody. I'm sorry, I sound a little angry there, but everybody thinks I'm like 17, maybe 18. You, you definitely look younger. I was at first questioning, like, is this guy old enough to be in the bar? Like when we were doing, tw- I'm kidding. You 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 definitely look at least old enough to be in the bar, but. uh at least 21. <laughs> Dude, if I shave this off, I look 12. Like, genuine. I did that a couple years ago, like 2017. I was like, oh, I'm going to shave it off so I can look like Negan from the comics. And then I shaved it off and I was like, I fucking hate my life. Who am Why I? Why did I do this to myself? <laughs> like, it's these, these, I have no regrets. The, the decisions that I've made, because a lot of these friends, uh, whether professional or people that I've met through school, I'm pretty much in touch with all of them for one reason or another, even if it's as simple as happy birthday. And I just try to stay cool with everybody because I remember uh, what it was like to not really have anybody or I would have them for the small pocket of time. And then, boom, happy new year, reset button. Then you'd have to start over. I remember those those times like they were yesterday. So I I, I value more. And, And as I said before, I'm still learning to value more and to not be so indifferent. But I'm I'm making a lot of good progress. I. I remember I, I took a day trip with my girlfriend to Indianapolis and I saw a homeless guy. I one time in my life after retiring from acting, I was nearly homeless when my parents split up. Uh, my father left and my mother couldn't afford to pay for the home by herself. So as she was sick, she had kidney cancer. So there was oh a lot gosh. of stuff. There was a lot of stuff going on. But at the time, we didn't really have a place to stay. So she was staying with a girlfriend. I was living with Tony for a year. And I remembered that while not being homeless, I wasn't that far off. So when anytime I saw, you know, somebody down and out, I was always trying to help them. I and my girlfriend, we went to a we went to a chicken and waffles place in Indianapolis and we had oof, three pancakes, a waffle, like four chicken strips. It was a lot of stuff. And we doggy bag had it with us. We're driving down the street. I see a guy, you know, tattered clothes. He had a sign. And I, I, I have an issue with, you know, trusting me because I see some some guys and I feel like they're trying to take, you know, game the system. And they I have like the sign, not. but they've got the cell phone under it. Yeah, and like, like man, and that's shit. your Mercedes over there. Like, don't bullshit me. Yeah, your but car's nicer guy, than mine. He, he was just sitting there and I pulled up to him and I told him, I said, dude, I don't have any money for you, but I've got this food. And his face like fucking lit up. And I gave it to him. He thanked me, gave me the fist bump. And he ran uh, under a highway, a highway bridge, and there was another homeless guy over there. And he started sharing his food with him. And I only noticed that much because I was stuck at a red light. And when I drove off, my girlfriend looked at me, and <laughs> the, the last time I gave a homeless guy some food was some Chinese food, and he threw it back at me because he, quote, unquote, doesn't eat that. Uh, it was just, it was interesting. And she was, she felt happy for me. 
to have done a good thing. And I joked, I said, well, that was my good deed for the day. But it made me feel really good because I'll never forget that time where I was stuck on my buddy's couch because I didn't have a house. I didn't have a home. My bed was in storage because we didn't have our own, you know, four walls. We didn't have a roof. So while I was never homeless, I never... Uh, negated the fact that I wasn't that far off. So I always tried to help where I could and never, you know, like feel like I'm better than anybody because it doesn't take much for anybody for their luck to turn around, whether for the better or for worse. So I always tried to do what I could. Man, I think uh, that's a beautiful thing to go out on because it shows you're just a genuine and a humble human. And I think to go back and we've said it like a hundred times, it's how your mom raised you, Thanks, how mom. she instilled <laughs> these uh traits within you man i'm the same way uh, i also genuinely don't trust people that are quote unquote homeless but there are people who are not far away from my house right over there that stand on the corner and there are some that i know for a fact don't have a place and anytime i've got something whether it's 50 cents a dollar it's a bottle of water chicken and waffles whatever I used to fucking, when I worked at Honey Baked Ham, I would make an extra half a sandwich to give the homeless guy, you know? So uh, I appreciate that you think about people that aren't just in your immediate bubble. It says a lot about you as a person. I think more people uh, in the world need to aspire to be like that. Uh, Just care for your fellow man at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, But uh, before we go, I always do, I do want to ask this question. We always ask this question on the show. Is there anything we haven't touched on today? that you would like to bring up that we missed in this giant conversation of your life? Dude, I have talked more about myself today than I have in years when we covered just about everything. Wow. Well, that makes me feel good. I hopefully didn't uh, leave too many things out. Uh, I, I didn't ask, but I feel like the answer came within your whole story. You don't have a sibling. Uh, 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 only your child. Only child. Okay. Me, myself, and I. I kind of figured as much because <laughs> there was like a, well, if your dad's out going to the bars and your mom's with you, who's there's can't be another one, right? Nope. So, it's just me. Well, that's good, right? I mean, that means you at least had, I mean, the focus. They could focus on you and you got to live this really cool journey. You know, regardless of what, what, from what happens from day, you're 28 years old today, if we're time traveling, from now on, doesn't matter because those experiences are forever. Oh, yeah. They're, and they're going to be with me. It's And it's an adjustment with, like, my girlfriend. She's got siblings. My mother is one of 13, whereas my father is an only child, but my father is the one I'm most distant with, and I'm the only child. <laughs> Interesting. So I, I remember looking at more of my uh, home movies uh, that my mother had digitized, and we were looking at Christmas, and you would see a mountain of gifts, and they were all for me. And my girlfriend was watching, and she said, all of that is for you, whereas she would show me her videos, and it would be a mountain of gifts split up between three or four kids. And then mom got some stuff, dad got some stuff, the dog got some stuff, and it was me. Nope, everything is for me. It's it's humbling, while at the same time acknowledging that I was privileged and acknowledging that, to a degree, I was spoiled as a kid but I didn't let it, it was, it was like, okay, I live that. And in that bubble, I was able to enjoy it, but it, I'm not that person now. I'm not some spoiled brat. You know, I, I, I try to put my best foot forward. I try to help everybody as best I can. And then, and most of all, I just try to have fun while doing it. And my, again, we mentioned it a million times. That's my mom. That's my mom in me. Like she helped me. She helped mold me. She set me up for any and all 
success that I have. Uh, you know, I, I can't take anything away from her except that hardball. Uh, that, You're that, like, that <laughs> going out on fucking hardball. Yeah, Damn that, it, mom. That one there we're not letting go. But the rest of it, you know, my, my mom's been awesome, and I, I love her for it. Hell yeah, brother. Well, I think we're going to get out of here on that one. Ross, thank you so much for joining me on Voice Survival today. It's been an amazing conversation. I've loved diving into your story. Thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. Well, folks, as always, check out The Voice Survival here every other Friday on the Journey into Comics Network. As always, I'm Nate, and we will see you guys later. Boom. Boom.